Thank you so much, Hubert. And if you are a King's Kid, you can head on out up to your King's Kid class. And if you would like to tune in to our Spanish translation, today we are not having Spanish translation. So if you would like to, we have a disappointing uh, message for you. There will be no one there. No. Um, we are, I'm excited to be, um, to be here. I'm excited to be where we are at this time, getting ready to celebrate Christmas on Sunday this year, which is going to be so neat. Um, but also I'm very excited to be in the book of Hebrews and we're starting a, a new chapter today. We went through chapter one and now we are going to start in Hebrews chapter two. And we're only going to take the first four verses, and uh, we'll tell you why later on in the message, why I believe it's just these four verses that are so critically important, and why they're placed exactly where they are. So let's, uh, let's read from chapter 2, verses 1, in the letter to the Hebrews. It says, For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. There's one of those exhortations that's all throughout this book. Verse 2, For if the words spoken through angels <clears throat> proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I know if, if you're a pastor and you start talking in the beginning of your sermon, about football, you are going to get a lot of nasty emails. But I can't help it. <clears throat> because uh, today is one of those big rivalry days. You know, we have um, a big game going on today, apparently. I mean, I used to be into football. I haven't watched it so much in the past two and a half years um, for certain reasons. But, uh, but what, are, what are rivalries? What are rivalries? Of course, I'm referring to the, to the Giants and the Eagles game that's going on today, the battle for the NFC East. <clears throat> I first learned what the rivalry was through football when I was seven years old, which was 1977. I'm 52, so don't do the math. When I was in 1977 for Christmas, I have a cousin who's uh, very close in age to me, about a month apart. And uh, we were born to get in the same house, grew up in Trenton, New Jersey, and we would have Christmas at my grandmother's down there in Trenton. And she would always, uh, you know, put all of our gifts around the tree, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with grandmas that like to just spoil you and stuff. And they wrap everything so it looks like, you know, if you get, uh, you know, one thing that could fit in one box and it's, you know, they'll, they'll spread it out to as many boxes, as many categories as they can so you could rip it apart. And so that year... I received socks, I received pajamas, I received bedroom curtains, I received bedspreads, pillowcases, t-shirts, and everything else of the Dallas Cowboys. And my cousin, 
Now, again, this is 1977. He received everything from the Pittsburgh Steelers because that was the big rivalry back then. And since then, he went on to like the Steelers, and I went on to like the Cowboys. He's actually a, an Eagles fan now. Uh, but that rivalry for the Cowboys in Dallas went on, and it was a rivalry between us as well. And, and you know, in, in sports especially, a rivalry doesn't necessarily mean there's something good about one team and bad about the other. What's it really about? What are rivalries really about, even in sports and competition? Or maybe you have a coworker that you're trying to, you know, get to the to get that raise, or you're veering for the same position. Doesn't mean one is bad and one is good, but it's about going for the same goal, going for that same objective, that same intention. Enemies, there on the other hand, are a little bit different. Very similar that two enemies may be shooting for the same goal. We see that in, in film. You can see like, I don't know, um, Batman and the Joker or Superman and Lex Luthor or whatever the case may be. We see them going after the same goal, but there's a clear distinction between the good guy and the bad guy. We know who that is. And it's based upon the standard that they're using for what is good and what is bad. Not the fact that they're going against each other. There's a standard there. Now, of course, the most famous of all enemies and rivalries is that of God and Satan. God is certainly good. He is the standard for all good, as the scripture tells us. Satan rebelled against God's standard by what? Trying to rise above God and be God. So they were both going after that same goal, to be God. Now, of course, Satan, as we know, was a created being, so he had no chance. God is eternal and can be rivaled or beat by anyone. Now, in life, you may have some rivalries, but hopefully you don't have too many enemies. But I personally believe one of the biggest enemies that we all have, each one of us, are not necessarily the external enemies, but the internal enemies. Not to get, you know, to get psychoanalytic here, but the enemies that are in our own mind, the ones that battle for position in our thoughts. One of the worst internal enemies that I know that I believe I have, and I, I think you may agree, is the enemy of procrastination putting things off that we know we shouldn't put off, putting it off, putting what we know that we need to do now, we put it off until tomorrow. So, but what's procrastination's arch enemy? Implementation. So you got something in your mind that says put it off and you got another thing in your mind that says, no, do it, implement it. You need to do this. And they both have the same goal too. That's action. One wants you to take action on that implementation to do what you need to do, and the other one wants you to take action of, I don't know, playing video games, watching a movie, sleeping late, some other sort of action. And those things constantly battle in our mind. Now, it may be okay to put some things off until Monday, little things. But when the bigger things come into picture, the things that are more important in life, that are going to impact more things in your life, 
When these two enemies start to battle each other, procrastination, implementation, what happens is, as major problems can begin to occur. Now, this is especially when it, become, when it comes to your relationship with God. Procrastinating or implementing the action that God wants you to do could really be the determining factor of where you spend the next life that you're in, or the life unto the next age, whatever you want to call it, going to heaven, where are you going to go? Or is it going to be there? Or is it going to be the other place? But it also can determine greatly how your life is going to be spent here and now, this age and the next. Now, where we are in Hebrews, our writer has already explained in that first chapter who Jesus is, he's God, and he's also fully human. He's the son of God, and he's now the chief and primary way that God speaks to people is through Jesus. There's no other, other forms of communication that God uses. It's through Jesus Christ, the word of God. He is the king. He is the king that the Hebrews and the people at that time we're waiting for. And in order to, come, to really show the contrast on how great Jesus really is, our writer says he's even better than all the messengers that God has ever used in the past. All the angels that you've ever heard about in the Old Testament. Jesus is a better way of communicating who God is, what God is, what God wants, what God likes, what God doesn't like. Jesus is that way now. And that's the way it's going to stay. But the Hebrews were not getting it. They were not getting it. They were, as my grandmother would say, you're calibres, right? Or it's, you're thick-headed. We're thick-headed. And it's not just Italians that are thick-headed like me. It's all human beings. We get, we, we, until something really smacks us into the face, we stay in that comfort zone. We choose that path of least resistance. And so you see, this is, he puts this passage right here with this big exhortation. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. What reason? The reason that Jesus is the way that God speaks through the gospel. This is how he is speaking to mankind today. But they weren't getting it. Why weren't they getting it? Because they were not paying close attention to what they have heard. They were hearing, but they weren't listening. They were hearing about Jesus. They were looking at the Old Testament scriptures. They were hearing the teachings. This was later on. This was back, you know, this is towards the AD 60, AD 70. The messages, the letters were circulating, but they were still caught up in their old ways. Now, this word, pay closer attention in the Greek, this word attention means to bring near. They weren't bringing that near. It also is used as a word to talk about a ship coming into land. But the real emphasis here is that it's what your mind must pay greatest attention to. It has, in the Greek, there's a lot of little color and nuances to the word. And so this is an urgent word. 
And they were not bringing near what they heard to their hearts. They weren't paying close attention to it. Now the word attention here, the same word is also used by Jesus himself. It's used a lot in the New Testament, but by Jesus himself nine times in the New Testament. He used the word beware. Matthew 6.1 Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And then Matthew 7.15 Beware of the false prophets. And then Matthew 16.6 Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These are all dire warnings. And that's what this writer is giving in this passage. We can't soften this passage up. No matter how many football stories I tell, it's still going to be there, painful to hear, hopefully to wake us up. It's a word of warning. So why wouldn't somebody pay attention to such a strong exhortation, to such a strong admonition? You know, pay more closer attention. You have to, you, you, you heard it, but what's happening? Why aren't you doing this? Well, it says it right there. They're being carried away. They are drifting away. It's like the, the time my son and I, <clears throat> Noah, were fishing on the, uh, in the Prosper Town Lake over in New Egypt, or I don't know, it's between New Egypt and Jackson. It's a really good lake. Big lake. The secret to the Prosper Town Lake is right at the boat ramp. You go across the lake, <clears throat> which, is, which is pretty far. You're going through the main core of the lake, and there's an island there. And you fish around that island, and you, you'll do well. You'll catch fish. But it's very difficult, unless you have an anchor, to stay focused in that area because the lake moves pretty quickly. And uh, we were over. We rode across the lake early in the morning. We got there at about 6 in the morning, so everything was pretty calm. So we, we were in a canoe. And so we, we canoed across the lake, and we stayed there probably until about 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. And the wind started to pick up, and we began to drift without even knowing it. And we were drifting all around. We were drifting around the backside. And then when it came time to come home, well, we better get home. You know, let's go home. It's getting close to 12. I was exhausted. We caught a few fish. We had to row back across the lake. But because we drifted so far away, we were unable to row back. As we were rowing, we were literally going nowhere. We were just rowing and rowing and rowing, and we just get, kept being pushed and pushed by the current. We couldn't go back across. The wind was too strong. So what we ended up having to do is ended up having to go with that wind. Now, it, it, what happened is, is we had to go all the way with the wind to the end of the lake and come all the way back around. And then, then finally we got with the wind and we went right back to the boat and we were safe. And as we were drifting, you know, we weren't doing that well. But then when we started going with the wind, we started catching all sorts of fish. I wish, that's a lie, and we didn't catch anything. But we did get to our destination. And we were panicky, because it was, you know, when you're in with your son, and he was much younger at that time, I was like, oh boy, what, you know, what happens if we tip over, or what happens if this? Because, 
He doesn't like to sit still, but the thing is, is we did get to our destination, but only after we made a deliberate attempt and we stopped drifting. And that's what he's saying here. Stop drifting. Start making a deliberate attempt to hear this message. Now, drifting happens because of neglect. It says here, for if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable in every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Neglect means careless to the message. It's not like they were saying, I don't believe this. I don't believe what you're saying. I don't believe it. No, they were just, yeah, all right, whatever. It wasn't that important to them. They were neglecting the power of the message. Now, neglect is the number one reason, I believe, for most of the problems that we have in our personal lives, like neglecting a relationship. If you neglect a relationship, guess what happens? That relationship starts to drift away. If we neglect our health, our health begins to grow poorer. Our body will send us messages. You know, we're starting to get that pain, right? I remember sharing with a guy on the boardwalk, he had a shirt on that says, shut up, liver. (laughs) And he was half drunk. You know, he's telling his liver to stop letting me know that I'm drinking too much. And that's sort of what we do, right? We get this pain. Well, well, I'll be fine. I'm not going to the doctor. I'm going to be good. Yeah, I know my my levels are up. And and we don't take that action. We we neglect it. And, you know, once I recently I, I have a hybrid car and I gave it over to my wife. Now, this hybrid was so nice. A Kia Optima. I loved it. Never had a light on on the dashboard one time ever. Now I go in at night in that car and the whole dashboard lights up with warning signs. I'm like, Nat, do you see the warning signs there? Oh, oh, don't pay attention to them. Like, all right, please get the oil changed, you know, that one flashing light, you know, the tire's a little low over there. You see, we get these signs, we get these messages, but we we simply, you know, we don't want to go simply change the oil every 5,000 miles or however long it does, you know. Go down, you know, and take it and drop it off. But, But this is also how our spiritual life ends up deteriorating as well through neglect. Now, it's not neglect of all the check boxes. Neglect, I'm not reading them as much. I'm not praying, I'm not doing... Those are all good again, right? But it's neglect of this, the true, pure milk of the gospel, of who Jesus truly is and what he means to you and what he did for you and who he is as king and all the things that we talked about. The focus is Jesus It's not just the answer for every kid in Sunday school. Jesus, right? When you ask a question, Jesus. It really is the answer. That's why we laugh because they're sort of right when they just say Jesus, right? We want more detailed teaching, but this is neglecting the message, neglecting the voice of God, speaking through his son, ultimately neglecting the voice, communicating such a great salvation. And we say, you know, I get it, but what's the big deal? What if I wait a little bit longer? You know, that's why I hate New Year's resolutions. 
You know, I'm not going to preach on New Year's Day about making a good New Year's resolution. It's a new year. Let's get started and let's do this and let's do that. No, you should be doing it anyway. Start eating good anyway. Start working out anyway. Start doing whatever your goal is. Start doing it anyway and keep it. Don't overwhelm yourself. Just keep it and do it. It's not just for that one thing. You won't eventually get it. When it comes to Christ, if you neglect the message, you won't eventually get it. It's God's voice being shut out, but it's even more than that. And for, I guess I'm telling a lot of stories today. My office at my house, right, is downstairs. And it's sort of tucked away in like basement type place. And oftentimes I'm impatient. I don't want to get up. I don't want to go upstairs. So I yell for my kids. You know, I'll yell for Ezzy. He doesn't hear me, doesn't hear my voice. So then what I do is I call out for someone else to get Ezzy. Leah, can you hear me? Yeah. Tell Ezzy to come down here. She'll tell Ezzy to come down. He won't listen. And then after that, what has to happen? I have to go upstairs. Now, if I go upstairs and I grab Ezzy and I talk to him, and he still doesn't listen? Will he, will he escape that great salvation? <laughs> he will not. But you see, this is what actually happened with the king. He sent the Hebrews the law, right? And they didn't really listen. Now, he's sending them the message through the gospel, through all the letters, through all the circulation, the buzz that's going around, all the letters are being circulated to the churches, the letters of Paul, John, all them, and they're being read, and eh, they're not really listening. And now what the writer here is saying is this, it's more than just him talking and writing. It's the actual king himself who has come. That's what we're celebrating in in Christmas. How much more do you think we can escape? He sent us letters, he sends us, sends us messages, and then comes himself. And we still say, no, I'm not going to do it. And that's why he's talking here, really, when he says, every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. He's talking about the law, the administration of the law. When you broke the law of God, the Torah, and you didn't do it, there were penalties associated with that. And you couldn't escape it because it was God's justice. It was his administration on how he did it. And he created the law and the sacrifices and all those things so you could be covered. But if you did not do those things, you weren't going to get God to wink his eye at it and go, eh, no problem. You weren't going to bribe God by slipping him a $100 bill or anything else. It wasn't going to happen. How much more when God literally comes to earth as a man and is neglected, do you think you'll escape? And this is a hard thing because not only did he come after, come himself, but then it says here, it was confirmed by God himself, the Lord. He spoke it. And then he spoke it to the apostles. And it was confirmed by those who heard, it says. That's the apostles. And that's one of the reasons why people say, well, this couldn't be Paul because he wasn't one of those But I believe it could be Paul because he did say he heard directly from the Lord that God himself shared with him while he was 
uh, you know, going and contemplating, and he was up in, uh, in Damascus for a while. But it says, God testified with them by what? Signs, wonders, various miracles, gifts, and he's doing the same for us. We see the glory of God in everything outside. We see God working in our life. We see God changing our hearts. We see God moving. We see the signs, the miracles, the wonders. That's really it is. We see the Holy Spirit. We see a picture here of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all in going, saying, let's get their attention. But they're ignoring it all. They're not paying attention to it. And this is why it's such a drastic sin. It's so, it's so, it's a, it's, it's, it's not only a drastic sin, but it's something that is inexcusable. They're not going to ever be able to say, no, I didn't know. And a lot of us think because God saves by grace that if we turn away from God and we walk away from God, we'll, we'll be able to make up some sort of explanation of why to God. And that's not ever going to happen. I know this is a hard scripture to say because we have all these things that float in our mind, but aren't we saved by grace? And does it, you know, can we never be? This is a pastor exhorting his congregation, let's say. He doesn't know the hearts of the people. Just like I don't know the hearts of the people. You don't know my heart. I can't look into your heart. I can hear your profession, but I don't know where your heart is at. And if it is not in Christ, if it's not believing in Christ, then this should terrify you because he's talking about eternal damnation, separation from God forever. Why? Not because God is a tyrant, not because God likes to, to, to throw people into outer darkness, into hell and all those things. No, but just the opposite, because God is so pure, holy, just, and loving. He is going to eradicate everything that is not according to him. That's why he established a kingdom. Because it's now very easy to delineate between those in the kingdom and out of the kingdom for him. He's, he's able to do that. The sheep and the goats. Jesus even spoke about that. Now, this should be a warning to all of us, but I have to say, especially to us young people that are here. Why? Because we were raised in Christian homes, or maybe we grew up in the church. You know, I love seeing the videos and the pictures of all you guys in your, in your teens and 20s when you were real, you know, running around and about this big, you know, here at the church. You guys lived here, your whole, you've been here a long time. But it's not just you guys here too. It's just in general, the young people, they, they grew up in church. I'll say, hey, are you a believer? Are you a Christian? Oh yeah, I went to church my whole life. No, no, you didn't hear my question. Are you a believer? Are you a Christian? Do you trust Christ 100%? Have you given him your life? Have you turned from your sin? And have you completely gave him your, your life? Meaning you've surrendered and said, God, I'm yours. That's ultimately all packed in that word, believe. Association doesn't save you. What happens is we, we that grew up in the church, and even us that are older that have been Christians for a long time, we become apathetic in our faith. 
Apathetic means we show little interest anymore to the important things. We, we, we know the basics. You know, we've done there, we've been there, we've done that. And we sort of get apathetic. Like the same old song. Sometimes I go on my phone and I, all the songs that it used to be my favorite songs, I don't even want to hear anymore. I'm just sick of them. I don't listen to the words like I used to. I don't like them. It's just the same song playing over and over. And that sort of happens with the preacher in the, in the word of God. Oh yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that. I've heard that. You should come in here every week and myself as well to hear a fresh new revelation, for lack of a better way to say it, of the word of God that you've heard over and over and over again. If somebody comes up here and, and preaches on John 3.16, you shouldn't say, oh, it's John 3.16. That's one of the reasons I stopped sending an email out on Fridays with the introduction to my sermon. Because I felt like I'm giving people too much of an inside of what I'm going to talk about, and they already come in and they're like, yeah, I know what he's going to say. I know what the theme is. I know what it's going to be about. And so now I try to lead, I'm trying to get you in. Snap you out of that comfort zone so that you hear even the most simplest thing like it's brand new again. And that's just because of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not some technique. Unfortunately, apathy, right? Little interest will turn to what? Atrophy. Atrophy. Apathy, unfortunately, turns to atrophy. Our ability to hear and our ability to take action wastes away because those spiritual muscles have shrank. See, that's why we have to work out our physical body, but our spiritual muscles need the most training, high intensity, frequency. And we need to rest too and recuperate, but then we can make it a part of our lifestyle. So we don't want to begin to drift away, not remembering where we even started. Where do we go? How do we do this? And so that will happen. You will begin to neglect the salvation. And this is a huge, huge problem. Now, why do I, I think why this happens a lot of times is because on how we want God to respond. And you've heard this before, the story of like, let's say the man hanging on a cliff. He's hanging to, about to fall to his death and he needs help. And so, you know, like a, a big eagle comes by and wants him to get on his back. And he says, no, I'm not getting on that eagle. You know, help, help, help. And then a helicopter comes and then another small aircraft. And then the man falls to his death. God, when he gets to before the Lord, he was saved. He was part of this church. He, he goes, um, what happened? You know, and God says, well, I sent you an eagle, a helicopter and an aircraft. Why didn't you get on? And why didn't he get on? Well, I believe he was ignoring the very thing God was trying to do. Why? Because it wasn't what he wanted. It wasn't what he expected from God. It wasn't what he wanted. It wasn't what he expected. The Hebrews were still trying to hang on to their old views of the Messiah. Jesus, the son of God, fully man, fully God, dying, a king dying. That's not what we wanted. That's not what we expected. Yeah, but this was hidden for all ages. Even angels desired to look into these things. Yeah, but it's really not what I think about God. You see, Here's what, here's what I think God is. First of all, I think God is Italian. 
Second of all, God is a Dallas Cowboys fan. That's number two, right? Silly, right? We laugh. But we shape God a lot of times in the image that we want him to be. My God is a God of love. My God would never condemn anyone. My God knows my heart. My God knows my works. My God knows what I've done. My God knows what this, and I say exactly right. That's your God. But what about the God of the Bible? He does things differently all the time, but never negates his holy word. See, God may be doing something in your life right now. He may be trying to communicate to you right now with something you're asking him for or asking him for guidance on, and he's showing you the answer, but it's not really what you wanted or expected, so you're not going to listen. You're going to neglect it. You're going to say, no, I'm not hearing that. And I believe that's what they were doing. So how do we solve this dilemma? This battle. The dilemma of neglecting, drifting, procrastinating on such a life and death issue. Well, when you go back to verse one again, that we, we talked a little bit about paying attention, meaning a ship, right? Coming to land. It means to turn the mind's greatest attention, and we could say, to that ship that is coming near. What would, what would you do? If, you were, if we were on guard in the U.S. Navy and we were in, our, in, in our, our battle station and we see a ship coming to land, well, the first thing we would say is, who is it? What is it? What is their intention? We wouldn't just say, oh, well, yeah, that's a ship, and this is the water, and that's what ships do. They fly, fall on the water. I've heard it all. I've been, in, I've been in the Navy a long time. It's nothing. It's not going to be anything. And then before you know it, boom, the attack. Turn that greatest attention to that ship coming near. And what I believe he's trying to say here with this word pay attention, uh, alluding to the ship coming near, and the word drifting away, it just, I, you know, he he's definitely has this sea analogy there, which a lot of these people will be familiar with. But how we can associate that to what I'm trying to communicate here is that the ship coming near that we must pay attention to is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the ship that he wants us to pay closest attention to. But you say again, I understand it. But here is the thing. Are you giving urgency to it? See, the gospel requires urgency. The word immediately, the word immediately occurs 102 times in the New Testament. 79 times in the four gospels. But, but in my favorite gospel, Mark, it's 40 times. Mark is a younger guy. I mean, he is just, he was, you could tell he was zealous and he just thought Jesus was coming and just thrashing through the world the way he writes. I think immediately is used like 10 times in the first chapter. Immediately the spirit came upon him. Immediately he got up. Immediately they went on the boat. Immediately, immediately, immediately. Referring to Jesus's action. See, the gospel is an urgent message. Jesus Christ died. God himself came to save that which was lost. That's an urgent message. He rose from the dead in fulfillment of the scriptures. He's seated at the right hand of God in rulership as a king. 
Now, that's an urgent message that requires an urgent response to this urgent event. See, the gospel is an event. It's something that actually happened. It's not just a a concept. It's not even salvation, believe it or not. The Bible says in Romans that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the message about the event, and when you believe that message about the event, you become saved. And so we must pay close attention to that event. He died on the cross for your sins. You have to have urgency when somebody dies for you. That's what I believe he's trying to say here. How do we get this urgency? Well, the first thing we do is we stop procrastinating, right? How do we do that? Because I know we all struggle with it. Do you ever think about something you've been procrastinating on? I know, you know, I have before, you know, and I, like just the, when I when I was procrastinating on my health and then I get my blood work done and then I'm like, oh, man, I start I got to change everything, you know, urgently got to change it, you know, or, you know, you it's financially something happens. It's an urgent response. You know, you it's you, you jump on it. When we stop procrastinating and implement here. Again, it has to do with the verb believe. Jesus, when he tells you to believe, like in the Gospel of John where it's all over the place, it's an action. It's always like believing. In John 3, 16, which we said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that all the believing ones will not perish, but have eternal life. All the believing ones, the ones who live a life of believing, not the ones who live a life of good works, not the ones who live, although good works are good, not the ones who, uh, you know, live a life that's, you know, perfect according to the pastor and the ministry and all this other stuff or on paper, look at all I do, not them, but the believing ones, the ones that are actively, urgently believing on Jesus Christ. Believing is an action of faith. Moving towards Christ even though you don't see Christ. Putting your life down and saying, God, not my will be done, but yours, even though I don't see you. That's an act of faith. See, now I get, like I said before, look where this section is. If you don't, if you don't have your Bible on you, look at it later. All of chapter 1 is all about Jesus and the angels. In chapter 2, verse 5, guess what? It starts all again about Jesus and the angels. Now, it seems like this writer finished this book, probably heard a report about these guys and said, they're really not getting it. And this is pure pat speculation. This is not the word of God at all, other than the fact that it's dropped in right here. Boop. This urgent message. You know, Paul is more apt to put something like this at the end of one of his messages or at the end of one of his sequences before he gives the good news. Like Romans chapter 1 all the way up through chapter 7 is one big section that hangs you over the cliff and starts Romans 8 with that with that section sequence that I like to call new creation, 
where he talks about the new creation, but he starts it by saying, now there is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, great. Because you just had me worried, Paul, through these first seven chapters really bad. But he drops this passage in. This tells me the Holy Spirit wants us to consider this passage urgent and implement the action of believing in Christ. Otherwise, there will be no excuse and there will be no escape. Now, what does this come down to the nitty gritty? Well, when, the, when, the, when, the, when Jesus announced the gospel, the first thing in Mark, you know what he said? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Turn from your sins. But you see, it's not just going and saying, turning from your sins. Like, okay, well, I've been doing a lot of bad stuff, so I'm going to turn from that. If you just do that, don't waste your time. Repentance starts first with a change of mind, a whole change of mind that is granted to us by God, by the Holy Spirit. Okay, if you look through the scriptures about repentance in the New Testament, it is God granting repentance to sinners. To sinners. So if God is opening your mind to the gospel, what's going to happen is, is you're going to say, okay, Lord, I want to give you my life. I want to believe on you and I want to live for you. And then what happens is God then works in you more and you start to grow in faith and you start to say, I hate those things that I knew were wrong. I used to love them, but now I hate them. That's repentance. You'll struggle, you'll struggle, but you'll end up turning. And so it's a daily battle it's a daily repentance. That's as Martin Luther said. Repentance is a daily thing. It doesn't mean you got to go to God and, you know, bow down every single day and confess all your sins or go to a priest and confess all your sins. No, it's a grace walk. It's a grace walk. It's a it's a to me repentance as a Christian is about thankfulness and rejoicing in the covering of Christ's blood. As long as your intention is to stay on and focused on Christ and you hate that sin, and you love Christ with everything, that's that grace walk that you want to go through. So that's believing with the gospel, with all their heart, repenting. And once and for all, this is one of the things that I see a lot is this, and and believe me, I say this as a preacher, but I experience this all the time. It's this teeter-tottering that we do. You see, I notice that once we settle the issue, once and for all, you settle the issue in your mind that you are going to live for Christ. And that's it. It's done. There's nothing else. I'm settling the issue in my mind. Then I believe the power of God just begins to grow and inflame and motivate and talk and then talks to you. It's almost like you you just start expressing and doing the things you need to do without having to do them. Or without forcing yourself to do them, I, you experience that. If any of you are, or if any of you are, if any of you's—that's a Jersey thing, right? If any of you are writers, you know, you start out with a character and you wrangle with that character. Now, what would he do here? What was he doing yesterday? What are his weaknesses? What are his strengths? What is his goals? And then you start a hard world, and you start to get it right, and you start to form that character, and then before you know it, the character's right himself. It's like. A situation happens. I know what the character would say here. He's my character, right? He would definitely say this. She would definitely react like that. 
And that's what happens when you turn and you believe on Christ and you build that spiritual muscle. You start, it starts to play itself out. That's walking in grace. The boat coming to shore that we have to pay attention to is Christ. As I said, and I, I just, when I, when I, when I said that, I said to myself, it immediately made me think of this. Matthew 8, 23, 27, when he got into the boat, Jesus, his disciples followed him into the boat. And behold, arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the sea and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea will obey him? And at that point, maybe they didn't know that this man was fully God. But I want to encourage you that when you get into Jesus's boat, that sounds a little trivial, right? But when you get into his boat, when you get onto his plan, onto his program, you too can be like these disciples. It could be stormy. It could be windy. You think all that stuff, you could be right at the point of perishing and Jesus will say the word. He won't do anything else, but he'll speak and remind you of who you are and whose you are. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you would give us that sense of urgency, that you would help us to understand as it relates to each of us, Lord, our relationship with you. Each of us have a different relationship with you, yet the same. And you know where our weaknesses are, Lord, each of us. You know what we're procrastinating on. You know what we're not implementing. You know what excuses we make. And Father, I pray that you would eliminate those, open up our eyes, help us run to Christ, but not before we run to the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's stand together and do our uh, last worship song. Sing with us, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us.